So, Mark. Yes? The plot of the movie we're discussing this week hinges on two people engaging in an internet house swap. A thing I have heard of, but this movie really made me distressed about. Okay, it's real. There are real websites. I will post some of them on our social media in case people are feeling reckless. Yes. Um, I feel like they probably require more information than was given in this movie. But oh, yes. You think it was shockingly easy to do a house swap here? Oh my god, I was so distressed. I was like, imagine showing up and there's a dog you didn't know about. But also just the fact that like they start chatting on this website and it's like, when are you free to do this? Tomorrow? Yeah, I can't even imagine that they would get flights by tomorrow at that time of year. At the very least, it's got to be shockingly expensive. Yeah. Well, that doesn't seem to be a problem for Cameron Diaz's character. It should be a problem for Kate Winslet, though. Yes, I know. Like, the wedding reporter for The Telegraph? Wild. Um, anyway. Yes. <laughs> the question that I wanted to ask you is... Actually, no. Before we can talk about that, we need to keep talking about the House Swap website <laughs> in the movie. Because was I wrong, or is the, like, browser for that website shaped like a house? I think it was... And I was like, also... trying to make sense of the screen because there was clearly a house-shaped thing, but there were also desktop icons. So either her wallpaper was a picture of a house, or there was a house-shaped browser. It was weird, and they also seemed to be using AIM to message each other. Yes, I think they were. Which is, like, not impossible in yeah. 2006. Oh, the technology in this movie was very fun to revisit. It's great. Remember when people would just have their ringers on in restaurants? Remember when you had to hit, like, 50 buttons to turn on this TV? Yeah, I mean, there's a full-on, like, spit-take joke about it when Kate Winslet sees all of the devices in front of the TV in Cameron Diaz's house. I know, that was honestly relatable to some of my friends' houses as a kid. Did you ever babysit? I did, but only people really in my fam extended family. Because when I babysat a couple times, I remember showing up and getting a handwritten list of instructions on which buttons, on which button box to push to watch TV. So I did babysit a kid when I was an undergrad, but everything just ran through the Xbox, and I know how to run an Xbox. So it wasn't that hard. Yeah, by that point, technology, I think, had condensed a little bit. Bit by bit. Bit by bit. But anyway, I still can't stream HBO Max on my Roku, but bit by bit. So you had a question for me. Yeah. So I want you to imagine that you are going to do a holiday house swap with somebody from a movie. Yes. Who would you do it with? I mean... And keep in mind that you are living in their house, but also they are going to live in your house. I mean, I have a couple answers. And the first one I came up with, and I didn't even think of the connection, was from The Parent Trap. The um vineyard giant mansion in the California wine country seemed pretty appealing to stay for two weeks. I mean, beyond also being directed by Nancy Myers, The Parent Trap is basically a house swap movie. It is. So I was just, I didn't even think about the Nancy Myers of it all in her famous kitchens when I thought of that. I was just like, that's a great house. But I did also think it would be very fun to stay in the, I think it's just the Plaza Hotel. From, from the Home thin, Alone 2, Lost in New York? From the Thin Man. They're oh, sure. like massive suite with the big bedroom, but enough space to host a kickin' New Year's party. That seemed fun. So I also thought of a couple of places. And the party thing 
made me think of, I would love to spend the holidays in the Ghostbusters building. Okay. Which they do sleep in, so it is their home. All right. Now, like Walter Peck, I am wary of what storing all that ghost crap in the basement would do. But it would be fun to throw holiday parties in an old firehouse. I do have to ask. They did sleep there, but is it their homes? Because I would never say a firefighter, their home is not the station, even if they sleep there multiple nights a week. True. I think that at least some of them basically live there. I know that they finance some of the stuff by taking out a third mortgage on Dan Aykroyd's parents' house. Is the ghost blowjob in the Ghostbusters building? Yes, because they're all sleeping in twin beds along a row. So it is... That is their home, then. Home is where you get a ghost blowjob. Exactly. The other big ones that I thought of is, like, if you want to do the holiday thing and spend your holidays abroad, then you do a switch with the Parasite family. Did we cover Parasite? No, I I didn't say it had to be a movie we've covered. Oh. I think I just scrolled through the schedule to get ideas, and then I convinced myself it had to be from our show. But yes, also, the- we did technically cover Parasite in an Oscars episode. We did. Uh, the Parasite house is unbelievably cool. Right. So, like, that's where you do your, like, Christmas in South Korea kind of thing. Even though it is so full of symbolism. Sure, but also, you got a nice backyard. If anybody gets out of control, you throw them in that basement cell thing. Yeah, you do have a built-in dungeon. The other, like, big, like, let's have a holiday in a big mansion kind of thing that I thought of was I thought that it might be fun to spend the holidays in the Knives Out mansion, but then I remembered they would all come and live in my home, and I don't want that. Yeah. Maybe post-movie where it's just Ana de Armas. Yeah, she could come live in my apartment. She would treat it well. She could bring Ben Affleck if she really needs. If that's what it takes. I don't think there's a Dunkin' Donuts close enough to entice them. There's one right by the Metro by me. Yeah, so maybe they could have your place and then I could tag along to their mansion anyway. Yeah, that seems like it would work. Yeah. All right, let's set that up. Dear Mr. Ryan Johnson. Look, my understanding is that if I just like put up Actually, I don't even know that I need to put pictures of my apartment on the website. I think I just need to find that house on the website, message Ana de Armas, and be like, hello, I would like to come tomorrow. And she'll be like, cool, I'll come to your place. And she could be totally surprised by everything she sees in my home. That is true. I did find it funny when Cameron Diaz was like, what? We have to swap homes when the website was called like homeswap.com or something? Yes. Oh my God. Anyway, should we start talking about this movie? Because we clearly have thoughts. We have a lot to say. Welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark and I'm gay. And I'm Will and I'm a ginger. This is an investigative podcast dedicated to examining one of the least important questions of our day. Does Hollywood holiday romance actually make any sense? And are these people too dumb to keep living? Or are they even likable? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or if it's a one-scene flirtation, or if it's the main plot in one half, and it's the main plot in the other half, if you consider Eli Wallach a romantic lead, (laughs) we'll dig in and see what's there. Oh boy, this movie. Uh, This week, we are discussing Nancy Meyers' 2006 holiday, increasingly classic, The Holiday. This movie was a wild ride. (laughs) It it was. There's a lot going on. I enjoy a lot of it. Mm Mm-hmm. I will say it is much too long. It is. Oh, there's so much in this movie that does not need to be there. And I know that's true of every Nancy Myers movie. And I do think we should cover one of her, like, allegedly, because we have not, as we said last week, we have not seen any of them, allegedly stronger rom-coms like 
something's got to give. But it's the kind of thing where I start watching it and I'm like, all right, I'm vibing with this. And then I pause it and I'm like, how are there 100 minutes left in this thing? That was... I had to stop. I get to get up and watch the last 40 minutes of this thing before going to school this morning. It was much too long. And it definitely dragged in the middle where there was just... The fight happened and I looked and I was like, there's still an hour left? And I was dumbfounded. I think this movie's pretty charming, but there are some areas where it is mostly just too long. Casting Jack Black as a romantic lead for Kate Winslet was weird to see. Okay, I I enjoyed it. Yeah. I think he's pretty good in this movie. I think he's given weird stuff to do. Yeah. But does a pretty charming job with it. A lot of it is not his fault, the weirdness in his character, and he is doing what he can with what he has, and he makes it believable. Yeah. So he got the part off of his performance in School of Rock, right? Nancy Myers watched that and was like, the sweetness he is capable of doing with children should translate to a romantic comedy. I guess she saw it. I would yeah, never which I think is it. an interesting thing to see. Yeah, but I guess that's why she makes movies and we don't. Right, exactly. <laughs> Although she hasn't made a movie in five years, so. But I her think daughter that... has. That's true. Her daughter did make Home Again, which we should maybe watch for this show. <laughs> maybe we should do a comparison episode between a Nancy Myers and a... Hallie Myers Shire. Hallie Myers Shire. That is hard to say. It's not easy. So, yeah, Jack Black actually, like, the movie was, like, kind of, sort of written... It sounds a aggressive to say it was written around him because he is like the fourth or fifth lead of this movie but as nancy myers put it in interviews she's a slow writer so she likes to line up an actor or two ahead of time so she can write for them knowing that they'll actually do the project and so jack black is one of the people that she signed on before she had really written the screenplay because of how much she liked him in school of rock i can see that making sense because that character has so much jack black energy right and some of that is probably jack black doing his jack black thing but You don't write the blockbuster scene, even without all of the singing, without having a sense of, like, this is going to be Jack Black. Yeah, not a lot of other actors could do that scene in a charming way. Right, he is doing something in this movie, which is, like, something you see in a lot of the best rom-coms, which is completely socially unacceptable behavior that manages to play as charming. That is so many movies in general, and it makes me so uncomfortable to watch. Oh, I enjoy it. I enjoyed it in this one, but every time I do have a thought where I'm just like, I can't imagine if someone was doing that in a blockbuster near me. I would feel so uncomfortable. Yeah, I feel like I would understand that in like a weird independent video store, but it's a lot for a blockbuster, as Dustin Hoffman agreed. Why was he there? That was interesting. So according to both the DVD commentary and like Dustin Hoffman on Jay Leno, that was not planned or scripted, or even cast, Dustin Hoffman was honest to God going to Blockbuster, and he saw all the film stuff going on, and like decided to walk over and see what was going on, and he knows Nancy Myers, and she was like, we're gonna put you in the shot of the movie. I mean, if you see Dustin Hoffman at a Blockbuster, and you're filming something, you're gonna see if he'll be in the movie. Right. I was very confused, because I also didn't fully recognize him, and I was like, why do I know this person, and why are they getting so much He gets a full-on reaction shot. He has no lines. He has one line. Does he? He says, like, why does this always happen to me, or something, that I didn't really Uh, understand. I think he 
the the implication of that is that he thought Jack Black was doing a Simon and Garfunkel bit because he had seen Dustin Hoffman, when in fact he's just being Jack Black. Oh, yeah, that that connects. I didn't really put together the graduate and Dustin Hoffman until you said that, unfortunately. <laughs> I'm glad I could help there. So, as we've said, this movie is written, directed, and produced by Nancy Myers. This is coming off of two big hits for her with What Women Want and Something's Gotta Give. And as we've alluded to, it's like kind of a weird movie. It's about these two people who are down on their luck when it comes to romance and decide that they need to get out of town and engage in a house swap. Risking so all Winslet of their property. Goes, right. <laughs> Kate Winslet goes from England to LA and Cameron Diaz goes in the opposite direction so that they can try to get away from the toxic men in their life and just find a new beginning. It's a lot of themes that are common in other Nancy Myers movies, but this time it's about young women as opposed to middle-aged women. Right. And I gotta say, Kate Winslet's man from back home, Jasper, is one of the most toxic men I've seen in a rom-com. Oh my god. I gotta say, Rufus Sewell is good casting for an incredibly toxic man. He's so awful to watch. Yeah, he is terrible. And it is the kind of thing where this is a movie that starts off, frankly, feeling pretty Bridget Jonesy. Where you've got this British lady doing voiceover about love, and then we go to her print media workplace where she's got this, like, flirty thing going on with her boss. I mean, that's what I was thinking of for a good chunk of the start of this movie. The difference is that, like, Bridget Jones has a little more of an edge than Kate Winslet does in this movie. But also, like, Hugh Grant is a bad person in that movie, but he's not as malevolent as Jasper Bloom, whose character name sounds like a Batman villain. Or a Bond villain. Yeah. Easily. He is so openly awful. And it's just to her. We don't see him in other situations where with Hugh Grant's character, you're like, oh, this person is just a huge asshole to everyone. But Jasper seems to just enjoy torturing Kate Winslet's character. Which makes him more evil because it means it's targeted. Right. He just absolutely cannot let this woman have her own life. It's so manipulative. And he clearly knows exactly what he's doing. That is probably the thing that got the most emotional reaction out of me is his treatment of her. Yeah, it it is appalling. And then when he shows up, obviously a thing we'll talk about, but when he shows up in LA, it's just appalling. Oh, it's so bad. You know what I'm realizing? I could not tell you what Kate Winslet or Cameron Diaz's characters' names are. Okay, Cameron Diaz is Amanda. Oh, right. They say that one a lot. Right. Kate Winslet is Iris. Oh, yes. Yeah. I couldn't have told you those five minutes ago, but I did manage to pull them out right now. And it's not the movie's fault. It's not their fault. They're just two actresses that are Cameron Diaz and Kate Winslet. Sure. And especially in this moment in 2006 when this movie is coming out, Cameron Diaz is sort of at the tail end of her sort of classical rom-com lead thing from My Best Friend's Wedding or There's Something About Mary. She's riding high on her Shrek money at this point. Uh, Charlie's Angels and Charlie's Angels full throttle. Absolutely. So, like, this is kind of the tail end of the main period of her stardom. For Winslet, this was seen as a big change because ever since Titanic, she had avoided doing big studio movies. And so the fact that she appeared in a Columbia-produced Nancy Myers romantic dramedy was seen as a really big deal. I feel so bad for Cameron Diaz in that it seems that every movie she's in, the writers want to point out that she's a bad singer. It is weird how often that comes up. 
is starting from her first role in my best friend's wedding at the karaoke. Well, she's in the mask before that. Oh, right. At least very early on in my best friend's wedding, we have the karaoke scene. The scene in Charlie's Angels is also aggressive, where she's like on Soul Train. I mean, also, just like Cameron Diaz's character, Amanda, is just kind of like a robot in this movie. (laughs) I didn't understand Amanda at all. (laughs) She can't sing. Uh, She hasn't cried in 20 years. She also has been told by every man she's ever been with, except Jude Law, that she's bad at sex. Like, it seems like as a human, there is something wrong with her wiring. Yeah, something is just very off about her. And when he's like, she says like, oh, all the men I have, or one man, I think it's just one man has told her that she is bad at sex. Is it just Edward Burns? Yeah, but he like looks her in the face and says, you're bad at sex, which is incredibly rude. But then he follows up with the question, what are your thoughts on foreplay? And she goes, I think it's overrated. And I was like, that might be a connection there. (laughs) These things could be related. Hmm, I wonder why. She's a weird character. Okay, it is very common in discussing this movie for people to vastly prefer one half or the other. Do you have a preference between the LA or London halves? Uh, The part I cared about most and got the most reaction from me is obviously the little old man being happy. <laughs> you liked the Eli Wallach character? I liked the Eli Wallach character. I got a little emotional when there were all those people at his award show. Okay, Eli Wallach is actually 90 in this movie. I know, and he's so good. <laughs> So, because of that, I, like, I prefer the thing. L.A. I think part. he is very sweet. I think he plays the role pretty darn well. Yeah. I think he, frankly, even more than Jack Black, is a guy who is putting in a good performance for a role that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. No, the role is... <laughs> it's <laughs> crazy. It's crazy. So, Eli Wallach plays an old, like, golden age Hollywood screenwriter. He has been retired for at least 15 years. That's the last time he tied a necktie, at least. His wife is dead. He has no children. So, like, he just, like, lives alone in his mansion and spends his time refusing to accept Lifetime Achievement Awards because he's afraid that no one would show up to the ceremony. And then, like, once we get to hear from him, there's, like, a lot of the movie where Nancy Myers wants to talk about, like, how great Golden Age Hollywood was. And the thing is, it doesn't feel like a lot is actually said about it. Like, we just hear that, like, oh, you know, uh, back in the old days, like, Movies played longer and things like that. And the box office. He gives this triumphant speech that doesn't really say anything. Yeah, that speech made no sense where he was just like, box office numbers weren't reported. And I'm like, well, yeah, because they didn't really have the technology to do that. And then they did. So they did. And so, like, he's very sweet. I think he's funny. Like, he's got an interesting little arc. Uh, He gets to climb up the stairs and be really happy with that. But also, it is always interesting hearing in movies about like the glory days of golden age Hollywood and he's like oh I worked for Louis B. Mayer himself and it was grand better than you can imagine and I'm thinking the whole time yeah tell that to Judy Garland who he's popping full of pills and basically giving an eating disorder to as you're showing up at that studio. All I could think about was that episode of 30 Rock where Kenneth has to show the old NBC star around and he's talking like, oh yeah, we used to call them sandwich girls and you know, we were just two men appreciating each other's bodies and it wasn't gay. Yeah, it's just things like that are the only things I can think of when people are romant- like romanticizing old Hollywood. She's like, I wonder if he testified before a HUAC and turned in some of his friends. 
That's why that's why he thinks nobody's gonna come. <laughs> All of his old friends were imprisoned for HUAC violations. Yeah. He was one of the people that turned in the blacklist. Oh boy. Granted, I love movies. I love movies. But listening to old Hollywood stuff, I do not love Hollywood. So this movie had a more muted reception than Nancy Myers previous two, which again were what women want and something's got to give. The reviews are kind of like, I-, I don't know. People are probably going to like this, I guess, but it feels a little messy and too long. It opened on December 8th, 2006 in second place with about four and a half million behind the opening weekend. Speaking of what women want, the opening weekend of Mel Gibson's Apocalypto. Ugh. Also in the top five were Happy Feet, Blood Diamond, and Casino Royale. What a time. What a time. I have to say, I think that if these were two movies, they would both be better. Yes. It is the combination that makes them both worse. I would watch a movie about Cameron Diaz moving to England and falling in love with Jude Law and learning how to feel again. I mean, my threshold for watching something with Jude Law is low. And then I would also love a movie where Kate Winslet falls in love with Jack Black and everything is fleshed out a little more so it makes more sense. I like a lot of what's happening here. I think part of the issue that makes it feel kind of long is that the two halves don't feel very connected. Obviously, they're in each other's homes, but there's not really any interaction between those two places. Even when, like, Cameron Diaz is like, you know what, forget it, I should go home tomorrow... Like, she's not contacting Kate Winslet and being like, yo, I'm going to be back in my house tomorrow, which could be an opportunity for them to, like, talk about what's going on and have a relationship between the two of them. Instead, by the end of the movie, everyone's hanging out, and our two leads are the only people who don't know each other there. And they even set it up for more back and forth by having Jude Law be Kate Winslet's brother. Like, they really should have developed their relationship more because it would have not made it such a disjointed movie. Every jump between the two felt so weird enforced like there was not a lot of smooth transitions between england and la yeah i think the two stories could have used a little more connective tissue because the the scene where they're on the phone and kate winslet is accidentally talking to cameron diaz when she thinks she's talking to her brother that scene is very fun and charming and i would have loved to see more kate winslet cameron diaz interaction that is the only scene where they talk because the other time they talk is over i am look it's the future do Kate Winslet and you know, Cameron Diaz You know, back when Eli Wallach started in Hollywood, uh, messages were long duration. And by the time this movie's taking place, messages are instant. I wonder if they just hated each other. What if it turned out they had to rewrite the movie because Cameron Diaz and Kate Winslet couldn't be on screen together and they couldn't afford to do a good wife scene? I mean, I think they probably could. This movie had a $20 million CGI budget. What? <laughs> this movie, like all Nancy Myers movies, is kind of shockingly expensive. I mean, all of her movies tend to go over time and over budget because Nancy Myers is very meticulous. And it's worth keeping in mind that, like, you know, by the time this episode is coming out, Mank is going to be about to open on Netflix or maybe will have already come out. And, like, David Fincher is a guy who gets to be very meticulous and exacting. And it's like, oh, yes, what a cool dude. And we shouldn't, like, allow sexism to let Nancy Myers get denigrated for doing the same thing. But the fact is that a lot of her movies run over budget and she was basically kicked off the set of The Intern by producers because she was slowing things down too much. It's less of a, like, Nancy Myers in particular should get attention for this, and more, everyone doing this should get more attention to it being not a good practice. Right. So anyway, this movie had a $20 million CGI budget. $10 million of it was for CGI snow. And 
The other 10 was for, like, digital touch-ups of actors' appearances, which at the time was seen as, like, wow, can you believe Nancy Myers is doing this? And now, like, every movie does that. Why would they spend $10 million on CGI snow? What are you suggesting? That 60 years before this movie, It's a Wonderful Life had invented effective fake snow? I just can't get my head around that. It's like, yeah... We've moved past using asbestos as they used in Wizard of Oz, but we don't need to go so far to spend that much money on fake snow. Just drop some soap flakes. Of course, we're now deep on a hypothetical scenario in which Cameron Diaz and Kate Winslet hate each other, which is, I'm sure, not the case. No, but I have no evidence. Even if it were the case, Nancy Myers is a director with shooting a scene to make it look like there are a different number of actors there than there actually are because she shot the parrot trap. I do love stories of people that hate each other on set. I am not going to lie. Oh, the best one is, do you know the story about Mickey Rourke and Marissa Tomei in The Wrestler? No. So they hated each other. They, like, could not get along at all. And there is one scene where they had to kiss each other. So, uh, Darren Aronofsky, what he had to do was, like, he made a deal with them where he's like, you will have to kiss each other once. We will have every camera available pointed, so we'll have all the angles. And in the final movie, it's like this long, passionate kiss, and it's like the same short kiss cut together from a bunch of different angles. Oh, my God. I think one of my favorite is still when... I can't remember which one said it, but either Rachel McAdams or Ryan Gosling just straight up said to the director, I can't work with them. They're such a bad actor. It was Gosling. It was Gosling. It's just that level of just straight up saying, like, you were a bad actor. I cannot wrap my head around. Well, that's the one where Cassavetes then just, like, shut them in a room for, like, three hours to work it out. I mean, at a certain point, you might have to just do that. Yeah, I mean, they're adults. They are adults. They should be able to get over themselves. Um, Speaking of people who took things very strongly, there's an English rock band called The Wombats that really disliked this movie. And they wrote a song about how much they disliked this movie. I don't know what about this movie could inflame hatred. Right. Like, at worst, someone might find this movie boring, which I did not. Like I said, I found a lot of it charming, if overlong. But they wrote a song called Kill the Director about how much they disliked the holiday. In which the refrain involves the line, if this is a rom-com, kill the director. And the song goes out on like two minutes of them just repeating, this is no Bridget Jones. <laughs> I I have to say, I would rather watch Bridget Jones than The Holiday. Yeah, it's a better movie. Yeah. It's also but shorter by at least 25 minutes. Kill the director is bold. Yeah. Once we hit the two hour mark, I was really not feeling it, I have to say. Two hours and 20 minutes for this movie. Like I said, I gave up last night with about 40 minutes left, and I woke up this morning and watched it before work. That was honestly probably, I wish I had broken it up a little more. I wonder if anyone's edited The Holiday into two movies. I don't think there's enough there. Two, like, episodes of a TV show, then. I mean, honestly, if you were to make this movie today, it would be a TV show. Yeah. Like, if you were to make this today, you'd probably be making it for Netflix, and it would be, like, six or eight episodes. Like, they just put out that Holiday series. Like, that's what they would do. I mean, you could even bring in, like, six people, and they all do a house swap all at the same time, and each person gets an episode. And Ryan Murphy produces it, and it's an anthology series, and every season you do a different swap. (laughs) And Sarah Paulson plays all of them. And one of the seasons is about a witch's doing a house swap. 
Ryan Murphy needs to be stopped. I'll say this for him. He does a lot of very good work, very deliberately hiring women and queer people and minorities to direct shows. That is good. But I don't know the last Ryan Murphy show that people were like, wow, this is good. Um, I didn't watch Assassination of Johnny Versace, but I heard good things about it. Yeah, I guess that is. And then Fosse Verdun was pretty well received. Was that him? Isn't that a feud? No, it is not a feud. There's only been one feud so far. Yeah, this is Sam Levinson and Tommy Kale. Oh, I thought it was a the next feud because it was on FX, but I definitely got confused. It gets hard to keep track. No, because he's at ne- he's an exclusive at Netflix now. Oh, right. Are they doing another feud? Theoretically, he announces a lot of things. I know they're doing the next American crime story about the Bill Clinton impeachment. Yeah, which originally got delayed because they were going to do a Katrina one, but I guess it's back on Clinton now. I don't want Ryan Murphy to do a Katrina TV show. Oh, you don't? Really? You think that would maybe be in poor taste? I think the Bill Clinton- Don't you you just a little bit want to see who he casts as Kanye to say George Bush doesn't care about black people? Uh, a little bit. But I have to say, I think he could make a really interesting Bill Clinton show. Yes, I do think he's a good person for that. Uh, wow, we're really off on a tangent. Can I go on a different tangent? Sure. I love it. So, (laughs) the 2006 Nancy Myers film, The Holiday, was nominated for two Teen Choice Awards. And one of the things you have to remember about Teen Choice Awards is they all start with choice. Oh, yes. Cameron Diaz was nominated for Choice Hissy Fit. Ew. And lost to Ryan Seacrest for Knocked Up. That's a disgusting category. (laughs) It is a disgusting category. It still exists. I will say, having looked at the nominations, it is at least... Much more balanced in terms of gender than I expected when I saw the title of the category. That's good, question mark? Like, this year, 2006, three of the nominees were men and two were women. And that really astonished me. Wow. They should not have that category. It's a bad category. Anyway, The Holiday won the Teen Choice Award for Chick Flick. Choice Chick Flick. Yes, Choice Chick Flick. And that's a category whose name I was like, huh. And I decided to look into it. And that took me on a journey because the category now is called Choice Romance. Before it was called Choice Chick Flick, it was Choice Date Movie. So it goes Date Movie, Chick Flick. After that, it's Romantic Comedy, and now it's Romance. But for one year, they gave out an award for Choice Romantic Comedy and Choice Bromantic Comedy. What? (laughs) I want you to guess. Think of, like, any movie from the 2000s. Give me, like, your top three things of what you think would be the choice bromantic comedy. Oh, bromantic. Bromantic. I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. Okay, that's one. Um, I love you, man. Sure. Um, Step Brothers. So, those are all much- All four of those are much more logical bromantic comedies than the thing that won that award, which was Marley and Me. Between him and a dog? I don't know, man. They don't say- that movie is just like Owen Wilson and Jennifer Aniston own a dog. So that's got to be it. It's Marley and me. We're the bros. That's bizarre. Oh, my God. Anyway, I thought we needed to talk about that. Yeah. Um. That's crazy. I like choice date night of those. Or date movie, honestly. Yeah, that's the best name for any of those categories. But I do think it's a little too broad because, like, date movie can mean a lot of things. Yeah. I think you should expand it, though. Like, maybe one year the best date movie is a documentary about love or something. But yeah. I mean, maybe. 
I think that would be an interesting category. Teen Choice Awards, you cowards, hire me to nominate the best date movies. <laughs> Wait, oh, so you want to be hired as a nominator? Yeah, I want to be the only nominator. Uh, don't the teens nominate them? I don't know how this works. No, the teens choose. That makes sense, I, I guess. I can't imagine the teens would be given the like ability to write in any movie. It'd be fun, but they would probably mess with it these days. Yeah, Bodie McBoatface would win a lot of Teen Choice Awards. Honestly worth it. <laughs> What else are you going to give it to? Sonic the Hedgehog? It's 2020. Not that many movies came out. Palm Springs. All right. You got me there. All right. So should we start talking about the romance of this movie? It is ostensibly what our show is about. I think we must. All right. So every week on We Love the Love, we break down the romantic plot into five points to guide our discussion, keep us on track. No tangents here. We're very focused, very serious men. So, Will, why don't you bring us to point one of this week's romance? Okay. So... As we said, this movie is about two people who decide to do a life swap, effectively, and we're going to be tracking the two relationships side by side. And so starting off in point one, our two women are ending old relationships or having those relationships ended for them. You know, I would never cheat on you, not under any conditions. Neither would I, okay? I mean, look at me. I'm down here sweating like a pig and look at you. I mean, you're the only woman on the face of the earth who breaks up with her boyfriend and doesn't even shed a tear? I mean, that's got to mean something, right? Why does it bug you so much that I can't cry? We start off with Iris, played by Kate Winslet, who is at her work Christmas party. She works for the Telegraph, the newspaper. She is their, like, wedding writer. Yeah, that's a real column. Yeah. And she has been, like, regularly hooking up with Jasper Bloom, who... is like, the dark and sexy, but, I don't know, dude who works at the office as well we're told that they are kind of on the outs but she's hoping that they get back in she's like got a christmas present for him that she's gonna try to spring on him well she cheated on her or like he cheated on her or also like it's not clear that they were ever formally together or at least it might be a situation where she thought they were exclusive and he didn't yeah and i'm i'm sure that he allowed her to believe they were exclusive until such a time came that he could not hide it Right, because he is a bad dude. Yes. And at the party, he's like, hey, I need to tell you something. And she's like, excellent, we're getting back together. And she pulls him into her office and gives him this like very lovely, thoughtful gift. And in its loveliness, that makes it incredibly pathetic. She has put way too much thought into this. And probably money? It did kind of remind me of the 12 Dates of Christmas, where giving someone an expensive gift is never a good way of restarting a relationship, I feel. No, it's just going to make them feel weird. It just makes them feel weird. It just makes you feel weird. And it's just a waste of money. And then she gets called out to the party where I got the vibe that it was like kind of an open secret that Iris and Jasper had been hooking up. But I hope it was not because her boss is like, Iris, we're giving you the exclusive. You're going to have to write it up. Jasper's marrying this other lady who works here. Who everyone knew they were together, officially, at that point. Right. Which is the thing where Iris is clearly, like, the woman on the side who, like, thinks that Jasper is going to leave this other I woman I think Iris and Jasper had been apart longer than you are thinking. I think they had stopped hooking up, like, two years ago. Oh, I don't think that's the case. And he's been just, like, giving her crumbs since then. Because That's she, possible. she talked about it to her friend at work, like, oh, we're over. That was so long ago. I'm not into him anymore. So I took that to be that she was still holding a candle for him, but they were, like, 
apart because he was now with this other woman. That does make sense. I I do think that what we said earlier, like, it was a thing where she, whenever they were together, she thought it was exclusive and it was not. Yes, I agree about that. You know what I just remembered? Catherine Hahn and John Krasinski are in this movie for, like, 30 seconds. John Krasinski is a real cutie in this movie. He is. And Catherine Hahn deserves so much more. And Catherine Hahn wears a headband. Yeah, it was insane. They didn't come back. I kept expecting them to come back. And then it was so long that I had the ability to expect them to come back and then forget they existed. Well, Krasinski comes back in the next movie. He's one of the kids in It's Complicated. I mean, that's not coming back in this movie or like this role. It's just coming back in the Meyerverse. Yeah. They just show Catherine up. Catherine Hahn should have like gotten a real Nancy Myers role. They just show up, they show her a trailer, and then she says, good job, and they never show up again. What do we think of the trailer for, like, Punch by Midnight or whatever it is? It is a 2006 action movie trailer. Right, entirely generic. Yeah. And not bad. Not bad. Not a movie I would want to see. Like, the the most compelling reason to see it would be the Lindsay Lohan of it all. Yes. I did enjoy the line, how did you know to bring two guns? Yeah, that is that is a good one. Speaking of Cameron Diaz. Yes. So Cameron Diaz, uh, we, we need to walk through the logic of this fight. So Cameron Diaz is waking up. We actually start with her boyfriend, Edward Burns, whose name I don't know, but it doesn't matter because he's about to disappear from the movie. So Edward Burns wakes up on a couch because there's a leaf blower going off. And he walks up to a bedroom where he... And Cameron Diaz immediately resume a fight with full vigor that, like, I, I guess the fight started last night. Yeah, when he came they home either, at 3 a.m. Yeah, they either, like, wore themselves out and went to bed separately or, like, decided, like, fine, we'll just resume this in the morning. But then, like, resume it at, like, whatever level they must have been fighting at at the peak of the night before. Right, he opens the door to the bedroom and she immediately throws things at him. Like, his pants. It just feels something. like there'd be a little ramp up. Anyway, she is accusing him of having slept with his secretary, which he eventually confirms did happen. And he's like, of course I slept with my secretary. When's the last time we had sex? Huh? Of course, he's told her that she's terrible at sex, and that might be a contributing factor. Yeah, I don't know why she would want to continue having sex with him when he says, you are bad at this. Yeah, that's it. He's also a bad person. Like, when he answers about whether he'd slept with his secretary, he's like, I've been sleeping with her. She's in love with me. She's young. And I'm like, dude, you're making it worse here. Yeah, because he's a bad dude. Don't take advantage of your employees. Yeah. Also, just like HR nightmare. So she throws Edward Burns out. and She's really sad. And Iris is really sad. And that's when Cameron Diaz decides, I need to get out of here. And so she pulls up the home exchange in a little house-shaped browser. And she's like, this little cozy cottage looks nice. And they start IMing. And when Kate Winslet confirms that there are no men in Surrey, Cameron Diaz is like, all right, I'm going. And then Iris, because of this, is like, oh, I guess I'm going to L.A. Which she's over to. She's like, I've never been to L.A. Let's go. Right. Get to experience the Santa Ana winds. That came up a lot. And it just made me think of the song from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Hello there, it's me. I'm the Santa Ana winds. I cause allergies. I also make things weird. Me too. Especially because, like in Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, every time they got mentioned, it was like, who knows what's gonna happen now? Is that a real thing? I don't know. 
It was very strange how often the Santa Ana wins came up. But they always caused a little chaos, but also only for Kate Winslet. Like, nobody else was affected by them. Yeah, because she's the stranger. She's the only stranger in LA at the time. All right. So I guess we should move to point number two. So the first person Iris meets in this town is her 90-year-old neighbor, who she finds lost on the side of the road and helps him to his home, which is very nice of her. Yeah. Nice lady helps a nice old man to a nice big house. And then he's like, oh, what a meat cute this is. And then he defines meat cute. And then we get the meat cutes. So, I'm sorry, I totally blanked. I've forgotten your name. Amanda. So, Amanda, you're not married, are you? Why do I look not married? No, it was just a backwards way of asking if you were married. So, Cameron Diaz goes back and that's when... Miles, played by Jack Black, shows up to pick up Edward Burns' old stuff. And Iris is like, yeah, uh, I don't know where any of that is. And the woman who lives here is gone for two weeks. So thanks very much, Jack Black. See you in about an hour of this movie. Yeah, she says, come back tomorrow so I can talk to her assistant to figure this out. But of course, Catherine Hahn does not appear in any more scenes. So we don't see that happen. Yeah, very, very disappointing. But around the same time... Cameron Diaz gets woken in the middle of the night to banging on the front door. I think this is like her first night in the little cottage. Yeah, it's her first night. So first she drives to the town and is struggling driving on the wrong side of the road and is very distressed. And the way she copes with this is by drinking straight from a bottle of wine in the grocery store because nothing makes driving easier than drinking. Right, she's going to have to drive back. It was ridiculous and that bottle is like half empty it was a lot and for some reason the wine had no label on it there are a lot of references in this movie to like her getting smashed but we never really see her be drunk but anyway she ends up back at the cottage she's too cold she doesn't really like it so she's planning on leaving so she goes to bed and as you said is awoken to the sound of banging and the sweet sweet voice of jude law demanding that he be let in or else he's gonna pee on the doorstep okay Here's a question I have. Jude Law makes this seem like a regular occurrence. He kind of does. We later find out that he is a widower with two young daughters. So is he frequently leaving them with a babysitter with the express purpose of getting smashed and sleeping over at his sister's house? So we are told that the kids are with his parents that weekend. Okay. So like this is his weekend to just like sort of live it up without his kids around. And I think it's possible that When that is the case, he might, like, go to bars and hang out with his sister. Okay, that makes more sense. I think I missed the part about the kids being out of town. Yeah. And, like, you know, it makes sense that he's a widower, his parents are nearby, they're going to take care of the kids sometimes. Right. But, yeah. He's got to be a fancy editor. That we don't find out for, like, two hours after this. Right. For now, Jude Law just gets to be a cute hottie, because when she opens the door, he's got that Jude Law smolder. We are told that he is, like, thoroughly smashed. He seems more, like, tipsy. Yeah, because, okay, he is talking like he's the drunkest he's ever been, but he's extremely coherent, doesn't slur any of his words, and it's very confusing because then Cameron Diaz, Amanda, decides, like, let's have sex because we're never going to see each other again. Before that, like, when she agrees that he can stay, he gives her the strangest goodnight kiss. Oh, yeah, I forgot. I maybe blocked that part out. This movie has some of the weirdest kisses. I did not care for any of it. So they decide to have sex. And the whole time they're like, 
she's justifying having sex with him and talking about like oh someone told me that i'm bad at sex i am thinking in my head if he is as drunk as he says he is you are not about to change the bad sex curse tonight because it will be mediocre at best if he is someone who is ready to pee himself in public yeah that is a fair point that did not occur to me because at the very least the next day he's like whoever told you that was wrong you're amazing at sex right i can't imagine it was that good Possibly good enough to to say you are not the worst person at sex, which it kind of seems like is what she was told. Yeah, that's fair. So that is how they all meet. And this brings us to point three. Okay, so point number three, people go on some nice dates. Kate Winslet goes on some nice dates primarily with Eli Wallach, and Cameron Diaz goes on some nice dates with Jude Law. I also wrote one that sounds like you. You did? Iris, if you were a melody. I used only the good notes. Jack Black does not show up for so long. And that's the thing where I think the Kate Winslet movie is less of a traditional romantic comedy than it is a, like, self-actualization movie. We talked about this some with 27 Dresses where that movie is more about, like, Catherine Heigl taking ownership of her life, and then because she takes ownership of her life, she's rewarded with a man. And it kind of feels like that's the narrative that we get with Kate Winslet, too, where it's more about, like, her choosing to live her own life with regards to Jasper and her choosing to, like, build healthy relationships with Eli Wallach. And as she's able to do that, then once that happens... Jack Black is cute and available. That is true. She is much more about finding herself and getting over Jasper than Whereas finding Whereas Cameron Diaz is, like, love. in a rom-com. Yeah. Which also Complete makes sense. Complete with, like, all of the beats of, like, a fight and stuff like that. Like, Winslet doesn't have a fight. Right. Really. Because with Cameron Diaz, Amanda is much more of a character who is about learning how to feel. Right, because she's a robot, as we said. Not a- She doesn't cry, she's bad at sex, but she does own her own company, and she's the best trailer cutter in town. And apparently she is, like, super loaded as a result. Yeah. But she is in a more traditional rom-com setting in that she has to learn how to, like, appreciate love and learn how to feel, whereas Kate Winslet is in a different movie, and I think that is also why I find the Kate Winslet story more intriguing personally because there's just more to it like she feels like more of a character i can understand and relate to i like the jude character a lot more than i like the winslet character but i think the winslet half of the movie is strong right i mean jude law is usually the best part of any movie he is in yeah he's he's a great actor and he's a big old hottie yeah he is just nice to look at so this actually for him this is like the year he comes back because of course famously in 2004 he appeared in six movies in like a four-month stretch oh my god when he was in I Heart Huckabee's Alfie, Closer, The Aviator, Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow, and Lemony Snicket. And, like, that was such a thing, like, Jude Law is everywhere. Because also he had this, like, Sienna Miller romance, he's all over the tabloids, to the point that, like, there were jokes, like, Chris Rock was making jokes at the Oscars about, like, man, Jude Law is everywhere. And then some other movies he was supposed to be in in 05 got delayed, so it was this weird thing where he was everywhere in 2004 and then in zero movies in 2005. And so then this year, 06, is like the year he's starting to show up again. And after this year, he starts making, you know, we said this was sort of the end of the Cameron Diaz rom-com era. For Jude Law, this is sort of the end of Jude Law, Hollywood leading man before he pivots into weirder stuff. 
But, you know, it's nice to see him do this. It's nice to see him be a, a romantic hot dad. You know what I've heard about Jude Law? He's a hot pope. He is a, a pope that is young. He is both of those things. But he's also the old pope, in a sense. Be- because he died at the end of the first series? No, doesn't he come back? He's like, I, I have not watched the new pope. No, because in but... the new pope, he's in the trailer. So I figured that he, I think what happens is he goes into like a coma and legally dies or something. So they name a new pope, but he comes back to life somehow. So he is then the old pope. I assumed it was metaphysical. I Again, I only watched the first series. I'm going entirely off of trailers. I've seen neither series. <laughs> okay. Well, I should probably watch the new pope because I loved the young pope. Uh, also, isn't John Malkovich the new pope? He is the new pope. John Malkovich, of course, is not in Nancy Myers' film The Holiday. <laughs> um, the funny thing is there's this movie is so long, but there's really not that much in it. It's very simple. I mean, part of it is just there's a lot of time that is dedicated to Kate Winslet giving very long speeches. So long. So many speeches. And it's the kind of thing that, again, to me... Felt Bridget Jones adjacent, where some of that I was like, well, this would be, like, it would be in Bridget Jones's diary. Like, it would be voiceover. But here it's delivered as dialogue, or as monologue. Yeah, there's a lot she says that is not, like, normal human ways of talking to each other. Yeah. So anyway, um, Cameron Diaz and Jude Locke go on some cute dates. Um, They get drunk. Cameron Diaz gets really embarrassed because she sees her bra on a chair after they had sex. No, they. the weird thing is she's acting so, like oh, no, I can't believe we had sex last night. I'm like, you already had sex. Yeah. I don't know why she's so weirded out. But then he's like, "Uh, we didn't have sex because you were passed out. And then I guess that would make me even more embarrassed in a way. Yeah. But there's like some of the sweetness where he's like, I stayed because you asked me to. Yeah. But what Cameron Diaz thinks is going on that's weird is that every once in a while, he'll like get these phone calls or stuff and leave to go talk to other women like Sophia and Olivia. And she's like, oh, man, he's, like, got these other women around. But she's trying to, like, calm herself down where she's like, I am here for two weeks. (laughs) Right. And then it turns out they are his doubters. Yes. Okay. These are, like, the best written young children maybe ever. Yeah. They are very intriguing. These are strong kid performances that are written with the logic of young children. Yeah, because it's, like, mostly logical, but then there are some leaps that are hard to follow, and that balance is tough to write. Yeah, it's, I think the greatest triumph of this script is how well Nancy Myers writes young children. Because they're, like, what? And also those girls are really cute. Four and six or something? Something like that. They're young, but Um, they immediately- They're super cute, and their dad is Mr. Napkinhead, and I was a big old fan. And then they love Amanda, too. Like, they take her into their tent- Jude Law's inexplicably super rich. He lives in, like, a country house. I think that they must have inherited money. Because, frankly, like, Iris also should not be able to live in the cottage she lives in if she's a reporter for the Telegraph. I mean, the thing is, her cottage is really not that nice. It's just cute. It's cute, but it also just, like... I'm thinking about, like, some of the other factors, too, which is, like, she's in the middle of nowhere. Like, that land isn't free, and no, obviously, like, then her commute into London can't be nothing either. Maybe it's, like, a cottage on the estate of her landed gentry brother. But she's I believe woman. that. He does own a cow. But she's a woman who can't inherit anything. <laughs> I'm sure that's not the law today. I mean, there are still peerages that cannot be passed to women. Because there was an Atlantic article that was just like, how do you deal with sexism with the most privileged people on Earth? That's fascinating. I didn't read it, but it was an interesting question of just like, it is super sexist, but also I don't care about any of these people and this whole system should be abolished. Right. 
That, that is a good point. Like, do you bother reforming this? Or do you just burn it to the ground? Anyway, uh, meanwhile, in LA, Jack Black and Kate Winslet are having some nice times. They go to Blockbuster because Eli Wallach has given her this long list of like, these are the movies that you should check out to see what Hollywood could do. And so Jack Black is there helping her pick out movies and he's recommending them based on his favorite scores right. because he's a score composer. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. But Miles has a girlfriend at this point. So it is just platonic between them. Just two friends hanging out. Oh, the one thing we should mention while all this is going on is that Jasper Bloom, the arch villain of this film, had FedExed pages of his book to Los Angeles because one of the many ways that he continues to manipulate Kate Winslet is he's like, oh, you know, I'm writing my book and you're the only person who can give me really good feedback. So I just need you like, you know, you're the best. I could never do any of this without you. God, he's so awful. He's terrible. But I think this brings us to point four. Point four, the sad times. It's over. This, this, this twisted, toxic thing between us is finally finished. I'm miraculously done being in love with you. So in Los Angeles, Miles and Iris are like hanging out. They're having a good time. They go out to, do they like go out for, for like to the restaurant first or do they make each other noodles first? Oh no. So it's actually at Blockbuster. He sees his girlfriend with another man outside. Right. So then he gets really sad. And so then they go and have noodles because it's Christmas Eve. And then they go to the sushi restaurant because she calls him then. I gotta say, those noodles look good. Yes, they did. They make that nice big plate of fettuccine in a Nancy Myers kitchen. But yes, because then at the sushi restaurant is when she calls him and is like, I made a mistake. And he goes and, like, sees her again. Right. So he's sad because his girlfriend cheated on him. And she's like, you should come back. We should be together again. Meanwhile, Winslet goes back to the house. And that's when... She gets a phone call from Jasper, and it's like, I sent you a Christmas present, as I now do a second different non-British voice for Jasper. (laughs) He's like, I sent you a Christmas present. Go to the door and see if it's there. And it's him at the door, and she's like, the heck is happening? And he's like, I just had to see you. And then he just, like, won't admit, because, I mean, it's not true, but she's like, before we like talk or anything have you broken up with your fiance and he's like i just came to see you and she's like answer the question directly you piece of shit i was trying to look into your eyes and then eventually she finally ends it with him thank god thank goodness and this is where she gets her nice like coming into her own moment where she's like no you know what i don't need you you're the worst and I'm better off if I live my life without you. Screw you. I'm going to go watch Eli Wallach get his Lifetime Achievement Award. Meanwhile, in England. In England. Cameron Diaz is like increasingly enmeshing herself into Jude Law's life. As you said, his kids love her. It's great. But she's starting to pull back because she's a robot and it's scary for robots to feel things. And she's also like, I have to leave. Right. She's like, I'm going home in a couple of days. So like we could attempt a long distance thing and then maybe eventually get frustrated with each other and then it's terrible. Or we could just be like, this was a nice two weeks and go our separate ways. And And that's when Jude Law announces that he's in love with her. Jude Law's like, I love you. And I was just, what? My dude. (laughs) My dude. My hot, hot Mr. Napkinhead. Uh, yeah, that was crazy. And so Cameron Diaz is kind of just like, uh, bye. (laughs) I don't know about this. Well, they do, like, make out. She doesn't say no. Yeah. But then they kind of break up? Yes. 
basically on the logic of like she's going back and like maybe they'll see each other again but it's one of those things where it's like we're not really gonna see each other again no understandable yeah but it's the thing where they allow themselves to say that they will so they don't have to say goodbye yeah but then this brings us to point five you know i was just thinking why would i ever leave before new year's eve that makes no sense at all I mean, you didn't exactly ask me out, but you did say you loved me. So I'm thinking I've got a date. <laughs> so for Cameron Diaz, she starts leaving and then is like, nope, never mind. I'm going to go back. And she hops out of the cab and then runs down that like 20 mile road from the church to the cottage. Once again, in her airplane stilettos. <laughs> can't ride there. You gotta fly in stilettos. You can't fly without your stilettos. She runs down and comes into the cabin where she finds Jude Law. And again, Jude Law, great actor. I have never seen someone look more mopey than Jude Law with his like shirt untucked wandering around that kitchen. With tears in his eyes. He looks so pathetic. Yeah. And then she's just like... but the th- Oh, the thing that made her decide she should go back was as the cab was leaving, she realized she was crying for the first time in 20 years. Oh, yes. But... She basically runs back and says, I should stay through New Year's. And it's like, great, just push it off another week. (laughs) Right, yeah. We've solved the problem? Yeah, because in LA, Miles shows up after breaking up with his girlfriend for real to the award show and plays the song he wrote for Eli Wallach. Yeah, it's cute. He wrote a score, like a little like musical theme for Eli Wallach. And then he and Kate Winslet are just like, you know, Oh, we love each other. Then he's like, I've they never do, been. They don't say love. They like, don't Because they have not been in a relationship. They're just like, I think you're cute. Yeah. And then he's like, I've never been to Europe. And then we like smash cut to everyone in England. Which doesn't not make sense. No. Because, yeah, her house shares up. So she would go back. And then right. Miles would go with her. And then Cameron Diaz can stay with Jude Law. Yeah. But, again, none of the issues in this movie are resolved. Right. They are all delayed by one week. Right. If the movie were to extend another seven days, we would see a bunch of questions about, like, what happens to these relationships now. All right. So after watching all of this movie, do you find the romances believable? I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's not a hard no. It's not a zero. It's not a zero. Kate Winslet and Jack Black, I actually believe more because they have a much more plausible like, oh, we become friends, but there's a little bit of flirting and then maybe it grows into more and then it does. Whereas Cameron Diaz and Jude Law are just like, they have sex. Three days later, he's like, I love you. Right. And you think about the fact that this is a guy who typically does not get his kids involved with romantic relationships. He's like, he's a single dad who is very careful with all of that. And for him to just throw up his hands and be like, I'm in love with you. Let's make this work forever. After such a short time feels very strange. So every week we rate movies on a 10 point scale of believability. One being the least, 10 being the most. Will, where would you rate this movie? Maybe like a four? Is that too high? That's what I was thinking. I think that Jack Blatt and Kate Winslet part really lifts it for me. Yeah, I think that's that part's very lovely. I think Jack Black is very cute in this movie. Yeah. All right. Do you think any of the romantic leads are dateable? Um. So since we talked about Jack Black, I'll start with him. Um. 
I think he's very cute and nice. And I think, frankly, the most frustrating thing about him potentially to date would be his enthusiasm. You know, that he is a guy who is going to start singing scores in the blockbuster. Yeah, he needs to, like, take a little bit of a chill pill. I being me, though, I think I could deal with that. So uh, I would say definitely for him, Cameron Diaz is a robot. No. Like, Kate I, I think that's a no. Iris, after her realization... Yes. She's very nice. She like is, she's very friendly. She's she reaches out to by people. far the nicest person in this movie. Yeah, because she learns how to be nice over the course of the movie, essentially. And I would probably also date Mister Napkinhead. For starters, I think he is like a baron. He's got a nice estate, and he's a he's a cute Jude Law. Yeah, and his kids are really cute. It's hard not to want to date Jude Law. Yeah, I think that is accurate. I mean, like, I don't know that I want to date like Sky Captain. If you did have to pick one person in this movie to date, who would you choose? I mean, for me, probably Jack Black. I think it would be fun to, like, hang out and be goofy and talk about movies with him. Yeah. I did really like her co-worker at The Telegraph, because her co-worker was kind of just like, mm-hmm, sure. Like, a non-person who just judges at a party. I could get on board with that. That is basically what you do. Yeah. Do you think that either couple will stay together? I mean, not really. No, I... <laughs> Conceivably, like, no. I guess- I think the movie wants me to think that they do. I can see Miles, who is a, it seems to be freelance film composer. Like, he could live anywhere. He could move to London and work in the London film industry. But Cameron Diaz owns a whole company, and Jude Law is a lord. So neither of them are going to, like, be able to really make that work. Yeah. I think that they will probably make it work for a while. Yeah. But I don't know about long term. So a lot of movies we cover end up being adapted into musicals on the stage. Would you want to see a musical version of The Holiday? Absolutely. I think this movie is perfect for a musical. It would need what we talked about earlier, which is more connection between the two plot lines, which is probably like some nice interstitial songs of the two women talking on the phone to each other about like, here's what's going on these days, like getting a glimpse into one another living each other's lives. But I absolutely think that this movie should be a musical. I think it definitely needs more connective tissue, which is honestly strange to say that a movie needs to get more connective tissue to be turned into a musical. (laughs) But... That is true. I think this would be perfect for a musical. I could I could see it happening. You know what does not come up in this movie? What? Christmas. Yeah, this is like a Christmas adjacent movie. It is around Christmas, and they celebrate Christmas kind of in the movie, but it really... I think the biggest reason that it's a Christmas movie is they have time off work, which doesn't necessarily make sense for the jobs that either of them have. Yeah. Like, the newspaper's still going to be published. I guess, like, she could take time off of cutting trailers, but... Yeah, it's like the reason that they have time off, and I think the holidays enhance the feelings of loneliness that make them want to get away. Right. It's just, as of now, I have watched all four Christmas movies for the pod that we're doing this year, and it was just kind of weird seeing this movie that is so not obsessed with Christmas coming from movies where Christmas is the most important thing in the world. Well, of course, I mean, and especially when you're watching those, like, made-for-TV Christmas movies where if someone is not sufficiently into Christmas, they, like, get thrown in prison. Yeah, so that's just something I was thinking about this whole time. Yeah, it is interesting how this one... Maybe I just wasn't aware of it, but I feel like over the last couple of years, its status as a Christmas movie has risen. Yeah, I feel like I see it on Twitter a lot more. Yeah. All right. I think that is about it for the holiday. Speaking of the made-for-TV Christmas movies, next week we are discussing Snowmance, which is a whole thing. This is a movie that made me go, what? While I was watching it. But 
It's a lot more fun than 12 Dates of Christmas. That is so true. If you're looking for something interesting to watch, I recommend it. It is streaming now on Hoopla. Unless you're Fiona Redmond, who watches 12 Dates of Christmas every year. <laughs> Snowman's, I think, is more fun. Yes, definitely. Until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love to Love Pod, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at love to love pod at gmail.com. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Reviews on Apple Podcasts are a great way to spread word of the show. Last question, Mark. What is the best piece of dating advice we got from the holiday? Hmm. There's only one left, so travel out to Oregon and go to Blockbuster and sing scores. It's going to be a lot harder in 2020 than it was in 2006, but I think it would work out. I was going to say, sort of in that spirit, be your goofiest self. It works for Jack Black in the Blockbuster, and it works for Jude Law when he is Mr. Napkinhead. That is true. Until next time, I'm gay. And I'm a ginger. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye! This is no Bridget Jones. This is no Bridget Bridget. This is no Bridget Jones.